I want to talk today about sometimes I don't pray in tongues, sometimes I don't speak in tongues. We're just going to talk about tongues in general, a fast disappearing part of the life of the church in most nations, and a very controversial and often misunderstood experience. But a very important and powerful part of our spiritual life, and a trigger to walking in supernatural power and releasing the Holy Spirit to move and to minister. And it's the main part of what allows us to be called Spirit-filled Christians. So I'm going to go real basic to get us started. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, who at this point in time are not born again. They are not saved. Why are they not saved? Because Jesus has not yet died on the cross and has yet to be raised from the dead, and so there is no way to be forgiven and become born again. And I find my first reference in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is with you, present tense, Jesus says. And that's because he's with every person ever physically born on the planet. And his task is to bring them to the foot of the cross and lead them to faith in Christ, a saving faith. The task of the Holy Spirit, the way he accomplishes this work, that he has been assigned, is found in John 16. John 16, verses 7 to 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit is with every person ever born upon the face of the earth, and his task is to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And if a person responds to this conviction a response from the depths of their heart, and they respond with godly sorrow, then they will repent and become born again. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 to 10. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 to 10. Even though, so sorry, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, Paul says, though I do regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, although only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief or godly sorrow, so that you suffered no loss through us. Godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly sorrow produces death. 
Worldly sorrow is sorry you got caught. Sorry you are now suffering the consequences for what you did. Godly sorrow is sorry you have offended God, who is holy, and you regret now that you have gone your own way, which leads to separation from God and eventual separation from God forever. As Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, the ways that seem right to a man are the ways that lead them to death. When you repent with godly sorrow through the conviction of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit then comes to live in you, in your spirit, in your heart. This experience happened for Jesus' disciples in John chapter 20, just after Jesus was raised from the dead. John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit comes to live in them, as he promised in John chapter 14. And now they are born again, new creatures in Christ. Paul tells us that when we're born again, we become new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And now they have the supernatural ability to develop a personal, in-depth love relationship with God the Father and Jesus the Son. Because in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it tells us in the second half of the verse that the gift of God is eternal life. So God gives to us, when we are born again, a gift called eternal life. And it is defined, biblically defined, in John 17, 3. This is eternal life. In other words, here's the definition of the gift that you are given. That you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the word know there is to know intimately. So, once you are born again, you become a new creature in Christ. And also, you are now an ambassador for the kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5.18, and a minister of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5.20. And your task is to go into all the world and make disciples. That's the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. So the Holy Spirit is with people, and then when they become born again, when they encounter Jesus, he comes and lives in the people, and he enables them to develop a personal heart relationship with God. But then Jesus tells them that they need to wait. Before going into all the world and making disciples, wait. You're missing something still. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. In other words, don't leave home without it. And he's not talking about the American Express credit card. Very important. And it's further presented to us, expressed again, in the book of Acts. This is the same author who wrote the book of Acts as wrote the Gospel of Luke, Luke the Doctor. And in Acts 1.5, he records uh, words of Jesus. John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
And that, of course, is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He is with you before you are born again, leading you to the cross, convicting you of sin. He is in you when you are born again, comes to live inside of you and become a new creature in Christ. And then he's going to come upon you and empower you. And in Acts 1.8, so three verses later, Jesus again says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So with you, in you, upon you. Convict you of sin, bring you to the cross that's with you, in you when you are born again, upon you when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and have a second encounter with the living God. This happens for the original followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost, which is interesting because that's a Jewish holiday where there's a celebration of the harvest. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, birthday of the church. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, you're born again, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is saying you're going to be empowered to go out and make more disciples and, and thus bring in the harvest for the kingdom. And on the Jewish festival of the harvest, they receive the power to bring in that harvest. And it is here that the church is first introduced to speaking in tongues. But before I jump into that, it's good to note that when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have deposited within your spirit nine supernatural gifts of the Spirit. And these gifts enable and empower you to be an ambassador for the kingdom and a minister of reconciliation. These gifts are how you fish for men. These gifts are the bait that you use when following Jesus, which means you are fishing for men. Jesus said in Matthew 4:19, "Follow me and I will make you fishers of men." If you're not fishing, you're not following. The gifts are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. And now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Holy Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting or working of miracles. And to another, prophecy. To another, the discerning of spirits or distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So there are nine gifts, and you can divide those gifts into three categories. The power gifts, revelation gifts, and inspiration gifts. The power gifts 
when you see the power of God most evident in your life and in the lives of those you're ministering to, power gifts include the gifts of healing, the working of miracles, and special faith. The revelation gifts, where you receive a revelation of something that you could not know in the natural so that you can use it to minister to someone. Revelation gifts include a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. And the third category, the inspiration gifts that inspire us, is our prophecy, speaking in public tongues, and the interpretation of public tongues. And you need to understand that these tongues are not the same tongues as your own private prayer language. Your own private prayer language is a love language between you and the Lord. This tongues here are public tongues, and that's the gift of tongues, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and they are for public ministry. Now, Jesus starts his ministry after being baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 1, verse 9 to 11, we see Jesus coming to John the Baptist. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. In other words, he just got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And from that point onwards, Jesus begins to minister. And he ministers using seven of the nine gifts of the Spirit. In the power gifts, Jesus, it says in Mark 1.34, went about healing all who were sick. In Mark 3, verses 1 to 6, there's a working of miracles. You see it again in Mark 6, verses 30 to 44. And Jesus works with special faith. John 14, 10, he says only what he hears the Father say and does only what he sees the Father do. And that takes special faith. In the Revelation gifts, he worked in a word of knowledge. That's knowing something about a person's past or present. And we see that as he's working with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He had a word of wisdom, which is knowing something about a person, about their future. That's John chapter 21, when he told Peter how he was going to die. And he worked in the discerning of spirits, Matthew chapter 9, verse 4, which is knowing the thoughts and intentions of people's hearts. And he also worked in one of the three inspiration gifts. So that's the gift of prophecy. Luke 19, 41 to 44 is Jesus prophesying over the city of Jerusalem and its total destruction. And it came to pass with Titus, the Roman general, in 70 AD. We have no record of Jesus speaking in public tongues or Jesus interpreting public tongues. He came to seek and save the lost. That's Luke 19.10. And he used the gifts of the Spirit as his fishing bait to grab people's attention. And we follow him and become fishers of men, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And we use these gifts as bait upon fishing. So Jesus says in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, the things that I do, you shall do also, and greater things than these shall you do, because I go to my Father, and the context tells us that that's 
because he's going to send us the Holy Spirit after he ascends into heaven. So the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we are now to do what Jesus did the same way that Jesus did it, and that's through using the gifts of the Spirit. Now on top of those nine gifts of the Spirit, we have our private prayer language, which Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 14. He's talking about praying in the Spirit. He's talking about singing or worshiping in the Spirit. Now we could use words such as praying with your spirit, singing with your spirit, singing from your spirit with the help of the Holy Spirit. As we read the scriptures, pay close attention to the different words between speak and pray. Speak is the gift of tongues that needs interpretation. Pray does not need to be, cannot be interpreted, even though it is a tongue. There's a teaching overseas that is beginning to appear here in North America that says you can interpret your own prayer language. That's a heresy. It's a private prayer language between you and God, and only God needs to know what it's saying. So pay attention to the word speak and the word pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is one of a number of references for speaking or praying or singing in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 13 to 19. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue, that's public tongues, should pray that he may interpret. Because you can say it in public, you have to interpret it. For if I pray in a tongue, that's your private prayer language, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, that's private prayer language, but I will pray with my mind also, that's praying in your native language. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks publicly in tongues with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say, Amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues, private tongues, more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to build up to instruct others than 10,000 words in a public tongue. So over and above the nine gifts of the Spirit, we have the supernatural gift of praying and worshiping, singing, in tongues or in the Spirit. This includes praying from your Spirit with the help of the Holy Spirit in a language you have never learned, a powerful gift for when you don't know what or how to pray, and singing from your Spirit, which releases the Holy Spirit to accomplish a number of things in and through you and in any gathering of believers. Praying and singing in the Spirit are spiritually powerful, and the Bible lists a number of things that they release and accomplish, and we'll talk about those in a few minutes. So let me note a number of things. Number one, speaking in tongues, your private prayer language became a sign of the baptism in the Holy Spirit in 1901 in Topeka, Kansas. 
and it really gained popularity in 1905 in Azusa Street in California, which became the Pentecostal, the rebirth of the Pentecostal movement. It was their experience that as people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. Actually, they thought that they syndicated the country and the people group, the ethnic group, that this person would go to as a missionary. But it became a sign of the baptism. In the book of Acts, when people received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, they often spoke in tongues as well. Because of Topeka and Azusa, we assume that it's speaking in your private prayer language. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. However, it could be speaking in tongues like a prophecy that needs to be interpreted. We make the same assumption in the story in Acts 19, verses 1 to 6. And it happened that while Apollos, he's an apostle, was at Corinth, he's taking Paul's place after the church in Corinth was birthed, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Paul wants to plant a church in Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, Paul knows at this point that they're not born again, because if they were born again, the Holy Spirit would be living in them. So he says to them, Into what then were you baptized? Sounds like a dumb question, except what he's really asking them is, So whose disciples are you? Because if you were a disciple of John the Baptist, then he baptized you. If you were a disciple of somebody else, they would, decide, they would uh, baptize you in their name. So he's really saying, Whose disciples are you? So into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, to believe, that is, in Jesus. So there's a pause here, which isn't recorded, because they get to know the gospel more than in their head, but in their heart. They're convicted of their sin. They repent with godly sorrow. So the scripture goes on to say, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul would not have baptized them by immersion in water if they were not saved. So they get saved there in that between the verses. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. So you have people who are not born again, but they're convicted by the Holy Spirit who is with them. They get saved. The Holy Spirit is in them. They get baptized in water by immersion, and then they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they are now Spirit-filled Christians. But because it was Zusa Street, people assume this speaking in tongues, in verse 6, is your private prayer language, and not public tongues needing interpreting. Again, I don't know if it is or isn't. But my question would be, why do we need a sign? Should we not pray and believe that God answered and baptized us with the Holy Spirit when we ask him to? After all, you prayed and believed that because you prayed you had become a born-again Christian? Not often does that experience come with some big earth-shattering sign that it happened? So maybe we don't need a sign for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Luke 11, 
verses 9 to 13. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And one who knocks it will be opened. When What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So really, really, really should not, we should not be looking for a sign. We ask in faith, we receive by faith, and we step out in faith. In my own life, I was born again on November the 9th, 1976. That was the night I was saved. And then on February the 9th, 1977, three months later, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. When I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I asked in faith, I received by faith, and I stepped out in faith. I did not speak in tongues for almost three months after the evening when I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but I flowed in gifts of healing, discerning of spirits, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and special faith. Second thing to note is this language you can pray and worship in can be a heavenly language or an earthly language. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men, and of angels, so two different kinds of languages, heavenly and earthly, and have not love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, you're just a bunch of religious noise. Number three, if you function in public tongues, it will be a different language than your private prayer language. It is a public tongue and not your private love language between you and God. Number four, If you're in a service, a worship service, God uses you to bring a message in public tongues, then it will need to be interpreted. And if no one moves in the gift of the interpretation of tongues after you've spoken, then it reverts back to you to give the meaning of your message. It is an interpretation, not a translation. So not word for word, but just give us the bottom line of what God is communicating to us at this time. You know, person who has the gift of the interpretation of tongues gives us the gist of the message. Number five, sometimes in a service someone will get extra emotional and speak loudly in their personal prayer language. This person needs to be spoken to quietly and asked to enjoy the presence of God in a quieter manner. You see, the issue is, often the congregation thinks this loud tongues is a message in public tongues, and then someone else speaks and they think that they have an interpretation of tongues, when in reality what you have is a very emotional person speaking too loud in their private prayer language and someone else speaking a prophetic word. Some people, number six, some people teach that we are to seek the giver and not the gifts. In other words, seek Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and not the gifts. That's a wrong teaching, and it's not biblical. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
And I'm going to start with verse 13 and go to chapter 14, verse 1. In the original writing of Paul, there's no chapter break. We added those in the 1600s. So I'm just going to read through as if there's no chapter break. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So pursue love, because God is love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so we are actually ordered, commanded, to earnestly desire, seek after spiritual gifts. Not just to seek the giver, but also to have and seek the gifts. Number seven. Some teachers teach that Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 is about praying in the Spirit when it's not. Likewise, it says in Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deeps for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Praying in tongues is a language, and thus has words. And this, these two verses in Romans 8 talk about this kind of prayer as groanings too deep for words. So it's not praying in tongues. Number eight, the more you use the gift of tongues, the easier it will flow and the more powerful it will become in your life as you become more comfortable in hearing yourself speak in a language that you have never learned. You should reach the point where you're comfortable praying in tongues in a prayer time when others can hear you. You should reach the point where you're comfortable singing in the Spirit in a public service when the worship allows it, and you're moved on by the Holy Spirit. And number nine, there are some simple things to do to release and adjust your tongue's experience. First off, if you're nervous and don't want to work with this in public, then sing in the Spirit when having a shower. Worship in the shower, but in your prayer language, not in your native language. That will often release it or release it more fully. Or second hint Simple things that you can do if your language has only three or four words to it. Give it opportunity to grow into a full language by adding a different letter to one of the key words that you have. So if you have a key word like quiantum, change it to myantum, zayantum, diantum. Just change the first letter. And all you're doing is priming the pump. You're just working to become comfortable hearing yourself speak a language you never learned. And the third trick, I would say, that if you have a lot of sounds, a lot of clicks, then the problem is that you're speaking too fast. You need to slow your speaking down, as most times you're nervous and you're just speaking too quickly. Slow down and pronounce the words, and the clicking will go away, and you'll actually hear actual words. Now, there are a number of reasons the devil hates tongues. First off, Tongues can be a sign of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Public tongues is an indication that the Holy Spirit is upon you in power. We saw that in Acts 19.6, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Number two, speaking in tongues is for building yourself up spiritually. 
In 1 Corinthians 14, 4, Paul says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies or builds himself up. Edifies means to build up, to charge, to strengthen in a spiritual sense. Number three, speaking in tongues allows you to speak with God in a special way, directly from your spirit to God who is spirit. John chapter 4 verse 24 says God is spirit, and thus it bypasses your mind altogether. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2, Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Or the Amplified Bible says, My spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prays. Number four. Speaking in tongues reminds us of the Holy Spirit's presence in us, upon us, and around us. And we've seen that as we went along in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Luke 24, 49, and Acts 1, 8. Number five, praying in tongues helps keep our prayers in line with God's will. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Well, if you pray in the Spirit, then you're praying what he's asking you to pray. 1 Corinthians 14, 13. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Well, then you're praying by the help of the Holy Spirit, and therefore you're definitely praying the will of God. Number six. Praying in tongues enables us to have our prayer directed by the Holy Spirit through our spirit. And so we can pray for things that are unknown to us, but they are on God's heart at the moment. Number seven, praying in tongues stimulates and builds faith. Jude chapter, oh, sorry, Jude verse 20, there's no chapter. But you, dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Number eight, praying in tongues brings spiritual refreshing because there's times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord, Acts 3.19. Number nine, tongues is a great way to give thanks. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 15 to 17. Number 10, speaking in tongues brings the tongue under subjection because James 3.8 says, no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. But the Holy Spirit can tame your tongue. And number 11, speaking in tongues opens the door to the spirit realm and makes us more spiritually sensitive to what is happening in the spirit realm. And last but not least, number 12, Speaking in tongues helps us to connect with the spiritual realm and thus release and flow in the gifts like prophecy, a word of wisdom, and a word of knowledge. Well, I hope that helped. You can find the notes for this teaching at ralphhowministries.com. Just type in, sometimes I don't pray in tongues, and it will pop up. Thanks for listening. Hope you're having a great week. Talk to you again at the end of this week.